0: This is Air Commander Starscream and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy.
1: <laughs> Kiora, and welcome into episode 106 of Half Measures. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Dan Whiting, in a world that is a little crazy right now. Dan?
0: We've got protesters in the capital of Wellington, we've got a war, we've got floods in Australia, It's the world is a is a
1: melting pot right now. It is crazy, it's, it's a depressing time in the world right now, and for me, I came into this room to record this podcast and i feel like it's a chance to not have to think about it for an hour or so so hopefully for listeners a chance to do the same
0: indeed sometimes you just need to uh get yourself away from it all for a little bit a little bit of you time a little bit of uh, sweet sounds of dan and paul as we discuss our
1: our week's viewing activity dan i remember a long time ago you accused me of coming across with a real deep radio dj entry into the podcast but the way you just said that last line, I'm going to find some way of getting a same bite of that.
0: It sounds creepy. It feels creepy. I, I regret saying everything.
1: Yeah, it's going to be edited out if only we were that organised. Dan, I'm going to ask you a question, which of course is what have you been watching this week? But I'm wondering if there's some things you're going to talk about which maybe wasn't so much watching, could be something else. Am I right? What's, what have you been up to this week?
0: Well, Paul, you know how I'm better than everyone else by reading books. That's <laughs> yes, right. I've read another book and I've got a, a lot I want to talk about with you and I'm very excited about it. So um, what I've read is a, a book called Dark Disciple by Christy Golden. And so, look, for, the, for anyone who's new to the pod or just joined in, Uh, This is sort of a bit of a a running joke from an earlier episode where I I don't read a lot. This is the second book I've read this year. In fact, the the fact I've read two books is a pretty big accomplishment for me. Um, But just through a a series of recent sort of a a re-emergence of my love with the Star Wars universe, I've decided to get into uh, some of these books. And I was searching through sort of a, a couple of top 10 lists and Dark Disciple was one of the books on the list. And, Paul, I know that you've read this book, but mm-hmm. just for our listeners, a little bit of context for this one. So this is a book uh, during the, set during the the Clone Wars and probably more closely the the Animated Clone Wars series for those who watch that series. And it's basically a, a novel about a Sarge Ventress and a Jedi called Quinlan Vos, who we don't see a lot of in the Animated Clone Wars, but he, he definitely does feature. And... This was actually meant to be a, a series of episodes on the Clone Wars and unfortunately the, the show was cancelled before it ever aired. Paul, this was a fantastic book. So the basic premise here is um, the, the, the Jedi Council is sort of at their wits' ends with Count Dooku and they decide to go against all that they know and set an assassination order against, against Count Dooku. But Count Dooku, being the um, mysterious master of the of the dark arts and um, Sith mythology that he is, uh, they they know that this this is a, a solo mission, so they commission or uh, well, send Quinlan on this on this mission, and he pairs up with a sarge venturist who is a, a former apprentice of Count Dooku, has who and who has already attempted to assassinate him twice and failed. I. Love this story so much. So, one, I'm already a huge Assange Ventress fan. I didn't know a lot about Voss going in, but this is a story about obviously the, the Jedi Council doing one of the darkest things they've ever considered. It's ultimately a bit of a a love story between uh Ventress and Voss. You get to really understand the the pain that uh Ventress has been through. Like she's so no longer really a Sith, she's more of a a bounty hunter, um, but still obviously uses the Force. Uh, you've got this Jedi who's having to kind of dabble in the in the dark side of the Force. It features a whole bunch of other Jedi's. You know, we get Mace Windu, we get Anakin, we get Obi Wan. Um, it's it's honestly a wonderful time.
1: It's it's so it's so brilliant for me that you're reading these books because it's just bringing back great memories and making me want to go reread them when i look at all the spines of all the books that are sitting up on my shelf i just have a you know you have like a latent memory of oh yeah that was a great one that was a really good one. oh that wasn't so good this is one that every time i look at it i just have nothing but the great memories and just thinking the exploration of those characters the Assage Ventress story act in this is worthy of you know of tv of some whether it's animated or whatever it would make a wonderful story could you imagine because you know you when you're reading a your book how it it is in your mind. Could you imagine what that would look like on screen, this book?
0: This would be an incredible, like sort of limited series. Um, but I, they probably wouldn't do it as a limited series, I think because it's already so steeped in the, in yeah. the Clone Wars um, style and the way they do storytelling, but it could be sort of a, a limited series arc. Cause I would imagine they've got probably hundreds of these sort of episode arcs, I guess like they did with the Bad Batch of Um Footage and content and characters that they still want to develop, and I think this is such a great example of it. And what's really interesting is Ventress is is a pretty core character throughout the Clone Wars, and though we've never seen her in in live action movies, we don't ever really get her fate either. And I think this this book really does a, a fantastic job of kind of just telling the story from two different people's points of view. It really challenges. Um, what it means to be a, a Jedi, I think, and it's it also does a great job in making you um, think more about Count Dooku, and and you know he Count Dooku in the in live action movies is like he he's a threat, but he's and he's obviously played by a fantastic actor and but in, in the Clone Wars, he's he's a real menace, right? Mm-hmm. Like and he's a he's a top tier villain. He's really like, you know, he's a master with force lightning. Yeah. He has hurt Ventress beyond anything imaginable, killed everyone that she knows. Um, and there's a real sort of vendetta here, and I think it's it's just so good to get into the the minds of Ventress as well into the minds of a of a Jedi that we don't necessarily know a lot about, and this is a a Jedi that's so different to someone like Obi Wan Kenobi or or Anakin Skywalker, and he's he's kind of got tendencies that are almost a little bit more like Anakin's because yeah. Voss as a Jedi is kind of headstrong, he reckless. does a lot of undercover work, he's he's a little bit reckless, he's strong with the force. Um compared to someone like Obi Wan who's very by the book. He's very kind of lawful good. And it's it's just it's really just good to it's good to see these um slightly lower tier characters who are just as powerful in this universe.
1: The um just hearing you describe Dooku reminds me uh I, I talked about um the novel dooku jedi lost back in podcast 52 in fact i just looked it up and i think that would be another one i'd recommend to you in terms of exploring that character but in this in this book you do get a really good sense of his of his his commanding power of the force which i go i guess goes a long way to explain when you think about the movies how he sort of you know he he faced off against two jedi he he hailed his own with yoda and managed to get away you know he's he's incredible this the the, the author of this book christy golden she is one of my, I would say, one of my top three, alongside uh, Claudia Gray and probably James Lucino, I'd say, and uh, yes, yeah, she just brings something to this. She really, you can tell by the style that she is deep into the Clone Wars as well. If you are a Clone Wars fan, or if you're a Star Wars fan wanting to find out a bit more about it, go no further than this book. You're right on the way I,
0: I think this is the thing, right? Like, and I think this is actually the the magic of what. You know, people will disagree with me here. This is the magic of what George Lucas has done with, I think, the Star Wars live-action movies, right? He's actually made big enough gaps between all of them that all of this new and amazing and rich content can be created. And it actually, you know, gives a whole bunch more meaning to me of Revenge of the Sith when, spoilers, when Dooku meets his end because, you know, there's been so many attempts on his life and even throughout this book, right, there's... You know, we we know that he's sent on an assassination mission, even just from reading the the back cover. But we know that that assassination actually takes place at the hand of um, Anakin Skywalker in Revenge of the Sith. So it's, I was kind of interested going into it knowing that it wasn't going to be successful, but still loving every moment of the story. And there's just, there's so many components to it from one, a Jedi trying to um, work with someone like Ventress and building her trust, um, learning to sort of use the dark side to sort of build up his power, um, working sort of against the Jedi um, and with the Jedi. And there's a whole bunch of sort of espionage and um, council conflicts in here, which they're just so good. And I, I didn't, realize how much fun I could have in a Star Wars book. And um, I think, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed Ahsoka and I, I thoroughly enjoyed this just as much.
1: I think the name, obviously Dark Disciple, what you just talked about, at the core of it, the the Jedi working with a Sith and learning the ways of the Dark Side in an attempt for good, that's where the crux of this story is for me. And if again, if you're a fan of that sort of that line between the dark side and the and the light Sort of like uh, the way Ray sort of stepped along it in the sequel trilogy, if you're a fan of those movies this 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 book has got it all, so um mm. this podcast has taken on a whole new flavor down. I mean we are essentially now a book podcast
0: we we are a book podcast, and just to really break my record for for all times, I've already moved on to my my third book for the year like i I'm unstoppable um so I expect another book review in the i guess the coming weeks.
1: Very exciting, very, very exciting Have you watched anything on a screen?
0: I have, I've managed to do a, a, a couple of things uh, In between all of this, I also hold down a full-time job, believe it or not but
1: <laughs> I'll believe that when I see it I am,
0: I'm I guessing we're on the Star Wars topic, I might just stay on there So I was flicking through Disney Plus uh, the other day And I've kind of been, you know, I've been toying with the idea of Do I go back and watch the Clone Wars? And... I I haven't pulled the trigger yet because I'm, I'm scared. I'm scared because, <laughs> you know, there's seven seasons, um, you know, 20-plus mm. episodes per season. There's a lot of good in there, but there's also a lot of not so good, and I'm kind of like I'm still just working out. Am I going to do a sporadic sort of look through? Am I going to watch it all? And I thought to myself, I might just put on – uh, the Clone Wars, the the animated movie, and just give that a watch. And it's been a long time since I've seen it. And in my mind, I, I didn't actually recall having a, that great a time with it, but I don't know, Paul, is it just because I'm on the spice at the moment with Star Wars, but I had a fantastic time. So this is the, the movie that came out in 2008, and one of my – my main motivations for actually wanting to watch this movie again is I wanted to remind myself of how Ahsoka came into the into the Clone Wars, and this is just a like a great little origin story. It, it's you know it's not the best Star Wars that you'll ever watch. There's a million episodes that are better, but I'm a a really big fan of uh, I guess Ahsoka Tano's um, story throughout the Star Wars universe, and it was just so cool to kind of be reminded how the way that she comes into this series is she's originally, we all think she's going to be the Padawan to Obi-Wan Kenobi, but Master Yoda basically makes the call that actually, no, Anakin Skywalker's going to take on a Padawan. He doesn't want a Padawan. Ahsoka's real kind of attitude-y and snippy with him. Um, and nice. I see what, I see what the, you did there with that. I know, I wrote this It's little, little Easter egg. Um, and this is a... It's kind of like watching four episodes of The Clone Wars all kind of bunched up into a movie. But look, I had a great time. I had a far greater time than I ever remember. And it's kind of, you know, it's pushing me a little bit further along that path, Paul. Should I watch The Clone Wars
1: again? To go back to your original point, I think it would be worthwhile going through like a Wikipedia literally episode by episode give yourself like 10 20 seconds looking at it and make a note of the episode numbers and pull out the ones that you think are the core episodes or the good episodes of the ones uh, tied into the the underlying story acts and i reckon that would be the way to go because you're right there is there is some a lot of filler in there and it's a shame i guess that so much of that seems to be in the first season or two because of course by that time a lot of people tune out and say this isn't for me but if you if people tune in from season three onwards it's for me i would go so as to say the greatest animated tv series of all time is a big call because i'm feeling guilty now about rebels and other things but no this this i remember going to the to the movie cinema to the theater you know for this when it came out in 2008 this was back in the time when it was all under Lucas's, you know he was still running the show and there was going to be um there was going to be a live action series called 1313 underworld or something and there was all these things planned out and some of them didn't come to fruition uh, and this was one that did and of course this movie sets the style and the tone for all of the Clone Wars series that you know the, the look and feel and I imagine rewatching it would be far more uh, rewarding than perhaps the first watch because of course now we know and love all these characters and we know all the history. You're you're going back and soaking it all up.
0: And I think that that was my experience watching the this movie. Is I have such such a a passion for all of this universe at the moment, and it's I'm just finding so much more goodness in it than I, I ever have in the past. And I, I was thinking about this the other day. I feel like every few years I kind of go through this process of falling in love again with star wars and i kind of you know i go through a period where i'm kind of like oh yeah i've really peaked i've really maxed out my star wars for a while and i sort of i don't you know partake in any of it but then something happens and i get real right back into it and i feel that's where i'm at right now so i think that's good advice maybe sort of being a bit selective on what episodes i, I watch but um no it's a it's a great watch you can check it out on disney plus if you want to really start your clone wars clone wars journey from the very beginning.
1: I would love a half-measures introduction from Tom Kane. You know how Clone always opens up with that classic Tom Kane's 1950s news reporter-style introduction. I'd love him to do that for half-measures. I think that would be great.
0: Let's get our social media manager all over it. I'm I'm sure that's not locked down under copyright and the the tight rules of Disney.
1: Roger, roger. It should be easy as.
0: Indeed. Um, And then there's one other thing I've been watching, which is... This is a rewatch for myself and Samara, but so most recently, uh, a month ago, season four part A of Ozark came out and we decided to actually, before we jump into season four of Ozark, to actually go back to the beginning and watch the series from the start. And we did it for a couple of reasons. So one, like I've, this is a rewatch for me, but Samara only sort of followed it through to about season two and couldn't didn't really have that many memories of it so this is a tv series on netflix Uh, it's basically about a financial advisor who drags his family from chicago to the missouri ozarks where he must loan the money to appease a drug boss and it's and i've talked about the show on the pod before it's it's definitely one of my favorite stars jason bateman and it's just a a, it's one of those shows that's got like a great kind of slow burn it's a you know It starts off a sort of real high intensity where he has to launder all of this money for uh, this cartel boss and then, you know, goes to a small town to do it, starts buying up businesses to start laundering the money. That uncovers a whole bunch of other shady stuff going on in the town. New problems are created. The cartel wants more money laundered. The uh, FBI start getting involved. Um, And Jason Bateman... Fantastic! He, he's such an amazing, amazing actor, and I think he's got this real dry, calm wit about him throughout this this whole series. We're just about to start season two, but this like Ozark's came Ozark sorry came out in twenty seventeen still stands up as a as a great show today.
1: It's been on the radar for some time now, and everything about this points to it just being something that you know should be right at my alley. It is yeah you know, scoring so highly so many great reviews the jason bateman pat is interesting cuz so often and we've talked to this before i just associate him with with a lot of um different types of uh you know comedies and and other such things but of course there's been quite a few things that we've sort of watched him in lately where he's really proven to be much much more than that so most recently i think um the The Outsider was the series where I really really saw this, the serious side of him. And uh um just looking at the trailer playing now, it's um it does look really, really good. The just that whole the words, you know, appeasing a drug boss by laundering money, just there's elements that feel like breaking bad to me that would come into this and there's just a lot of quality. The cast looks great. Yeah. I mean this must be a great oh, yeah. rewatch.
0: It is, and it's um, it's a really fantastic cast as well. Uh, Julia Garner, absolutely amazing. Uh, Laura Linley, who plays uh, Jason Bateman's wife, fantastic. There's amazing um, villains. It's one of those shows that you know is. A bit like, and it's good that you sort of reference um, Medical Soul. It kind of has this slow tension and build up that's always kind of happening. And there's always, there seems to be 10 episodes per season. That it always kind of like gets, starts getting real intense around that sort of episode eight, nine, ten, um, before it sort of like slows the pace down again for the next season, then it ramps up. And the reason we thought let's do the rewatch now is so they've broken up season four into two parts. And nice. so uh the first part has come out and then the second part comes out in a couple of months. So we thought if we start every rewatch now, that should kind of work out quite well for a um complete end-to-end watch. Nice. And that, Paul, is me.
1: That's quite a lot, given that there's a book in there as well, because we all know how long it takes me to read a book. Uh for me, Dan, um, I've made it through to the final James Bond movie in this marathon. Rewatch, and i will be revealing my final order as well so um got that to look forward to but die another day pierce brosnan 2002 um this is the one where he sent to uh investigate the connection between a north korean terrorist and a diamond mogul um this movie i'm going to say some things about it which perhaps aren't too kind but what i will i'll start off with a real positive of every single James Bond movie that's out there right through to No Time to Die, this has, for me, the best start to a Bond movie ever. It has that. So you always get that scene before the the opening credits and the music. You know, this has the best pre-opening credits scene Um yeah, this is twenty years old now, so no spoilers. But this is the one where he's he's caught by the North Koreans and he's taken as a prisoner, and he's there for quite some time to the point where obviously they they think he's dead. And you know, when you see him, he's got the you know massive long beard, and it's it's such a strong start. And I'll always remember the scene where they take his head and they push his head down into like, you know, a a sink full of ice and then the opening credits go from there and you think he's in so much trouble. And I had the thought, I remember sitting in the cinema thinking, oh, this is just going to be great. And it winds up perhaps not being that that great after all, but um, there's just some real big story um, issues with this movie where they just they just trade it all in for action. And the action's over the top. I don't know how much you remember about this, Dan, but it's, this would give Fast and the Furious a run for its money. You know, we've got the Ice Palace. We've got an invisible car. It was it was pretty out there.
0: I was going to say, it's it almost feels like you can see um, where Fast and the Furious has drawn on this. You can see where Casino Royale has drawn on this. You can see just, you know, even in the trailer, right, there's, there's lots of over-the-top, um, set pieces, um, yeah. Look, I'm again. I, I, I don't have strong memories of these. I feel like I've maybe watched them once or twice in my life, but yeah. never felt the compelling order like desire to go back. Unlike the the Daniel Craig versions, which I would happily sit down and watch again any day.
1: Yeah. What's interesting is those action scenes. If you remove them from the context of Bond, I think they're actually really good. I think that, um, and actually it was um uh, lead tamahori a new zealand director and so it's great to see him as a new Zealander directing this and as i say story side those action scenes actually work they just don't work in a modern day james bond movie for me um toby stevens as the the villain gustave graves the most forgettable bond villain ever madonna comes in as a like a fencing instructor i mean that was insane um her their uh, theme song wasn't particularly memorable either. Um, Michael Madsen, an actor I really enjoy, really like, just didn't seem to fit in the James Bond world. Somehow he, he didn't work. But there are some positives here. I, mean, I talked last week about John Cleese and Bond. It was a bit too much. This this time John Cleese's cue, his relationship with Bond, is, is much more enjoyable than The World Is Not Enough. Um, so, yeah, overall not the greatest way for Pierce Brosnan to go out um Miranda uh, sorry Rosamund Pike uh as Miranda Frost um I, I, at the time I think is one of the first things I sort of saw her in she was convincing in this and obviously she's gone on to do some some great things um but yeah not a lot else to say about this one I'm afraid Dan
0: to be honest, Paul, all I'm thinking about is your your order of these movies. I'm, I'm so excited to hear the ranking.
1: Yes. So as promised, so I've had to write this down. Obviously, you know I hate to write things down. Um, I've included Never Say Never Again, uh, just because why not? And I guess if you're a purist, then just remove it from my list. But I, since I watched it as part of this whole thing, um, I've included. It. I've also included the movies that you and I reviewed. Um, so it is all of the Bond movies right the way through to no time to die which was the hardest one to place because of course i've only watched it once and of course it was such an emotional watch and i just feel fuzzy on i need to give i need another watch and of course it's coming out this month on amazon prime in new Zealand, so there's a chance there to watch it so i'll be quick because obviously it's 26 last place is octopussy So Roger Moore takes out The Wooden Spoon, I'm afraid to say, with Octopussy. And I'm afraid to say he also takes the next two places, Live and Let Die, and For Your Eyes Only. Um, It was a real bad run, those middle... some of those there. Then it is, in fact, the one I've just talked about, Die Another Day. So that is my lowest-ranked Pierce Brosnan movie, and just to sort of put it in context of how much I didn't have to say about it this week. Then I have my first connery movie lowest rank connery movie is thunderball number 21 man with the golden gun which is hated all over the place but i still rate it above those other five then the world is not enough then i'm going never say never again then tomorrow never dies so that's already three Brosnan movies out of four in there that's not good and we're only in up to 20th place um sorry we're up to 18th place 17 Moonmaker. 16 specter that's my lowest place daniel craig movie and of course we're getting into some decent movies now but there's so many of them that some of them they just have to fall further down the list it's like when you rank the star wars movies someone has to come at the bottom right um a view to a kill diamonds are forever quantum of solace you only live twice number 11 is license to kill So that's my lowest place Timothy Dalton movie. And we're now into the top 10. 10 is Dr. No. 9, The Spy Who Loved Me. This is my highest place Roger Moore movie. So that's ninth place as as high as Roger Moore goes. Number 8, Goldfinger. 7, I've Put No Time to Die. Again, I'm not sure whether that might move after another viewing. 6, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. So that is the George Lazenbury uh, movie, which uh, was a really good rewatch we're into the top five now five is golden eye my high, my highest place pros it's so good that he did such a good one after the others weren't quite to the mac four is skyfall three timothy dalton takes out the bronze medal with the living daylights absolutely love that movie number two casino royale craig takes the silver but the winner is from russia with love uh Sean Connery's second movie is still my favorite, which is interesting because, of course, it was the second movie I watched in this whole run. It stayed at the top the whole way through.
0: Amazing, Paul. That's it's a amazing list. I, I feel like I didn't – like none of them felt out of place for me. Like probably personally I probably might have like bumped up some of the – the Daniel Craig's, but that's probably more because of recency and yep. being a more modern film. But I think I, I like the way you've gone. I, particularly your top five really stands out. Um, there's some in there that probably deserve a rewatch on my part.
1: It's so interesting because some of those more recent ones, as you say, the, the Daniel Craig ones, it's they feel in a – I don't know if the word is correct. I'm going to use it anyway. They feel in a different league than some of the older ones simply mm-hmm. because of the, the budget and the effects and all the rest of it. And so what I I just tried to think about the story, the the how it was portrayed, and just, like, if, if you could imagine a movie like, I don't know, The Living Daylights being made with Daniel Craig uh, right now or or from Rush Red Love in the modern day, I mean, it just would be absolutely amazing. But at the same time, there is that's something special about that 1960s look that and some of the things you could get away with in the 70s you know die another day probably would have worked in the 70s somehow but um yeah,
0: yeah i don't think uh, from Russia with love would work in today's climate
1: um, no i did see the irony of that as i was reading it out um yeah
0: so i guess the big question now is are you moving on to the austin powers movies are you are you gonna get into the the spy who shagged me and
1: no Uh, but we have uh, we've already started uh, a watch of um another series of movies and i will be bringing those to the table all going well next week in fact all going well it should be all i bring to the pod next week if i can watch them all so i'm looking forward to talking to you about that i know it's a series that you've watched or at least i think you have so yeah
0: Amazing. Well, that's been an incredible journey that we've been on with these.
1: How many? Did you say twenty? 20- twenty six, all in all. Um, and of course, we did the you know the the five between yeah. us, and then so twenty one weeks of Bond uh, at four weeks. So it's like five months of Bond. And I have to say, it's the single most enjoyable movie rewatch I've ever done. A because there's something special about Bond, but also just watching it with my my 12 year old son. And of course it's his first run after he'd enjoyed the Daniel Craig movies. He wanted to go back. It was actually him. I think I said at the time who said, Oh, let's watch these. And I thought, Oh, they'll be too old for him. And he loved it right from the start. He's become a little bit obsessed with Bond, if if I'm honest, and I I don't have any complaints about that.
0: I love that because I, I've, I've seen a few of your son's Instagram lists over the years, his (laughs) favorite movies. And I, I look forward to seeing maybe a modern one where James Bond might knock off some of those other previous choices. Um, and, and what a great like childhood memory, right, to say that you've watched all of the classic James Bond films with your family. That's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, no, it's been a real, real special rewatch. So, yeah, there we go. That's Bond done and dusted until, I don't know. Until they come out on Blu-ray as a whole set and then I have to rewatch them again because one of my gripes was about the, the quality of the of the um yeah, the visuals. Yeah. But um and,
0: and a- hd recap
1: would be awesome. Oh imagine. Imagine. But um yeah, i might have to do the rewatch a bit quicker than I have this time around. Anyway, the other thing that I've watched, um, which took up a fair whack of time, is thirteen episodes. So it's actually, if I'm honest, been over a week and a half, actually. Started this before. Um, that is the final season, season seven of Elementary. Um, and if you haven't heard of or seen elementary before it's basically a modern day take on Sherlock Holmes but the the real difference here is is that the detective Sherlock now lives in New York City and of course his famous assistant John Watson is in fact Joan Watson and um, so we have Johnny Lee Miller as Sherlock Holmes and we have lucy Liu as dr jane watson and then instead of having all of the traditional sort of people in the bond universe <laughs> in, in the um sherlock universe um they've been re- replaced with sort of north american equivalents and so captain gregson and detective marcus bell sort of take the place of the british police um but there are some things throughout like Moriarty and um and of course um sherlock's father and brother mycroft and all those things carry on this this final season so i've been watching the seasons and i've been waiting for some time for this final season this final season was as satisfying as i can uh, imagine this series being i've had a great time watching the series this is a huge call but i'm going to say it then i put this this final episode of elementary on a tie with the final episodes of homeland or of of Breaking Bad for the best ever final series episode ever now within the context that homeland and Breaking Bad are shows I did enjoy more and I do rank higher within the entirety of elementary they could not have done a better ending for me. It was absolutely absolutely fantastic.
0: Would you say that the like over the seven seasons they they're just as good or is it is it up and down?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question, because um, much like Clone Wars, there are some filler episodes, and one of the strengths of the show is also one of its failings, and that is that by and large, there are some longer story arcs. but by and large, it's a classic X-Files approach with an alien of the week, so it's a mystery of the week, it's a, a case each week, generally, and that works really, really well, because you can put it down and go back to it two years later, and you haven't... You don't need to try and remember anything because it's 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 Sherlock, and and so that works well. But of course, when you get a bad episode, um, the only thing about that that's good is I guess it's at least it's over in one episode. But um, overall, this is a series that I think has grown with uh, with each season in terms of quality. I think it's probably peaked around five or six, um, if I'm honest. But um, yeah, this Johnny Lee Miller, it has to be said, has perhaps the most... Because I feel like I've watched a fair bit of Sherlock, different different sort of uh, adaptations. He is the most engaging, the most... the Sort of the deepest uh, Sherlock of any I've seen. He, I guess he, he plays the character for 154 episodes. And so by season seven, he is at the top of his game. Uh, the role defines him. And he's just got a great... His facial expressions, his mannerisms, the way he talks is just absolutely fascinating and lucy Liu as as watson opposite him is her best tv role for sure i mean we did a peak performance on her and uh, that took out my peak performances she really holds her own she she just brings something new to it there's a great chemistry and she also has a great i'm sick of you face whenever sherlock becomes too sherlock
0: I'm uh, in parts intrigued when I was just sort of scanning through the the episodes. I tell you something that puts me off these kind of. Older, which it feels a bit rich to say. Older uh, shows like sort of you know this started in 2012. Is is their 24 episode seasons? Yeah. I'm just kind of like oh, like especially when it's like like monster of the week or patient of the week type type format. Mm-hmm. Whereas if these were sort of like 10 episode seasons, which I know wasn't the the thing back then, it probably would feel a bit more easy to get into. But as as a newcomer, it feels like quite a steep hill, which is a weird thing to say. For someone staring down the barrel of, you know, seven seasons of Clone Wars, rewatched at the office multiple times. Like, it's no different. But for some, it's a bit like that show we talked about last week, uh, Blacklist. I I kind of put that in that same category where I'm interested, I'm unsure whether I'm ready for the journey. It's
1: so funny you say that because I was just about to reference. Blacklist, and I know some of the people that listen to this podcast are massive Blacklist fans as well. um It's got a similar feel to me in terms of the quality of the show that it is. It's it is good quality, but you might not always sit in my top ten list for the end of the year. But it is a solid show, and it is the thing I like about it is as I said before, it's not like a, a if you put a if you start a book and then you put it down for three months and you go back, you think oh, I have to start again. It, you you just dive in. And it works if you're just looking for something as a quick filler. But um, it's slightly different for me with this because I do love the Sherlock character. And I think if if you're a massive Sherlock fan, chances are people have probably already watched it in that regard. But, I mean, so the, the Benedict Cumberbatch Madden Freeman series is in a league of its own for me. And it's in my all-time top 10 TV series of all time. So, But if I put that to one side, Elementary is now hands down the best Sherlock Holmes story or series or film or anything else that I've ever encountered. And I have to admit that um, I thought that the the premise of having him in New York City might not actually work. I thought, oh, it might be a bit of fun for a few episodes, but then I just really want to see him back in Baker Street. But it works really, really well. And um, so don't be put off by the New York City element of it. Great opening credits, by the way. Great opening music. Um, my, my only sort of disappointment actually is is and again staying spoiled at light but in this final season they did they teased sherlock being in london uh back at baker street but they only stayed there for one episode and in a 13 episode series final season and a series of 154 episodes i felt they could have easily given us a three episode arc in in london but um yeah the the final season for anyone who's watched it um or has yet to get to it, because it's only just just come out um i would say sorry, it's only just come out here in new zealand um you'll yeah you'll find that final season is is quite a an emotional f- finale they you know they, they, they lean back into the Moriarty story and there's a number of things that happen it's as you would expect great twists and turns um yeah it's a it's a highly rated show for me
0: I'm actually, I actually think it makes it more intriguing that it's set in New York because for me, there's so much Sherlock content at the moment, Um, you know, between like Love Them or Hate Them. There's the, you know, the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock movies, there's the um, Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock, there's the Enola Holmes, there's the Baker Street TV show, like there's so many different things. And I know they're all sort of set in different periods throughout history, but um the the new york element kind of adds a whole nother spin so that i think that's a positive for it in my view
1: yeah no for sure and what it's done is i mean i already know a lot about lucy lee but i've only really seen johnny lee miller in, in Transpotting one and Transpotting Two, and I, I don't know what else i've seen him but i just rate him so much having watched this that i will now actively go see what he goes and does next because you know he's been doing this for seven years so it'd be great to see what he does next
0: that is a very good shout. Shall we? Uh, is that all you've been watching this week?
1: Other than a lot of news, which we don't want to talk about, that's all I've been watching, Dan.
0: We don't want to talk about the news. All right, shall we uh, jump on over to our movie of the week?
1: Indeed. So every week, Dan and I take it in turns to pick a movie. We publish what that movie will be in our Discord community a week in advance, and you can check out our Discord community by clicking the link in the show notes and then watch along with us. This week, we went with the 2021 movie from director Matthew Vaughan, The King's Man.
0: Yeah, so interesting one, Paul. So, this is a, a prequel to the existing Kingsman movies. And so, set in the early years of the 20th century, the Kingsman Agency is formed to stand against a cabal plotting war to wipe out millions. This I have a bit of a, a love-hate relationship with the Kingsman movies where the first movie I, I kind of enjoyed, I've always found them tonally all over the place, from quite serious to comedic to trying to give a message to completely over the top and back to serious. And this movie kind of feels no different.
1: Yeah. It, um, as a trilogy this is the the weakest link of of the three for me uh, so what you said the word tonally i think really resonates with me because you don't quite know how to feel as 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 you're watching it but um there's so much there is so much to love as well i see i feel really cool again because it's rated popularity number 1 on imdb normally it's just you watching the number one stuff but here i am again this the style of this is what is what draws me in so that Matthew Vaughan style so the Kingsman series the Kingsman series just has that thing where it just draws on a number of different like there's elements of Guy Ritchie there's elements of espionage I don't know there's almost a hint of um John Wick or something in the I don't know what, what movie might be suit the fighting but it all comes together very well in a, in terms of a style but there is something that the story wasn't as strong as the other two for me um and yeah I, I wrote down the word tone myself.
0: It's interesting, right? Because Ray Fines is uh, an incredible, incredible actor, and I actually think he carries the the weight of a lot of this movie on his shoulders. Um, and I think what's weird about it is I feel like there's there's a good story in here somewhere, and yeah. It, like I, I kind of found it intriguing. Like it obviously plays heavily into the the, the origin of a world war. Um, it's got a whole bunch of tragedy and and loss. And, and to be honest with you, scenes that genuinely shocked me. Um, as as characters uh, were uh, dispersed of, and at the same time, the the villains are as you say, like they're they're kind of over the top. Uh, Austin Powers type villains with yeah. big uh, maniacal plots that they're they're trying to sort of roll out. There's like it's just it's it's so weird because there's these action moments that are if this was a a World War One World War Two movie would probably be a, a sort of a fascinating story. But the yeah it about the birth of a of a of an agency. But it's it's that and four hundred other things that just don't quite work together
1: yeah i don't think they pushed the boat as far as they did with the second one so if, one of the highlights of the second one of course was um elton john um being kidnapped uh and elton john being played of course by elton john made that sort of special but it also brought that comedy element to it uh there are some things in this movie where they push the envelope with trying to bring that comedy in but they, then they also try and hit you in the hat with a few things as well and they do it I, they just don't quite get it right one of the things i don't think we should mention for anyone who wants to watch this of course is um the actor who plays the shepherd but what i am curious to ask you dan is before we discover who the actor is who played the shepherd because they kept that obviously quite concealed for some time as we as diana and i were watching we were trying to work out who is that and so the Diana thought it was uh, Robert Carlisle. I actually thought it was going to be Ewan McGregor because you know, both of them have that strong Scottish accent. Did you have any theories as to who it might be or had you th- figured it out?
0: Um, no, I. to be honest with you, I don't know whether it kept me engaged enough to even sort of theorise about what it All was. Right. <laughs> and at, at one point in this movie, we actually paused it thinking, oh, how long has it got to go? Like, shall we put the kettle on? And it, we honestly thought we had about 15 20 minutes left and we were only an hour into the film and so it was probably a little bit lost on us um as far as sort of keeping us engaged to that level
1: it's always a good time to put the kettle on as the answer to that question and since you had obviously an hour to go there's a great opportunity for a for a cup of tea and on that note ray Fiennes has an absolutely fantastic line in this movie in relation to being asked if he wants a cup of tea um to the point where i nearly spilt my tea watching it it's worth it's worth watching it just for that there, there is, if I put aside the story, which is always my criticism for so much stuff, that directional style, I do I do love. Um, you know, Matthew Vaughan, you know, he he produced Lost Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. He produced Snatch. He then directed one of my favourite Daniel Craig movies, Layer Cake. And of course, he did the first two Kingsman movies. But I felt like a lot of that great style that I sort of uh, i'm thinking about particularly when i think about the fight scenes with colin firth in the first two movies there almost wasn't enough of that in this one because that's what i come to see and they try to interject too much dialogue which feels um backward to how i normally approach a movie but with something like this i have an expectation and it didn't deliver on it
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think it's interesting you say that because like, I think Matthew Vaughan has definitely got the goods. He he's got a great back catalogue of movies, but yeah, I just it's like it's kind of a, a movie for me. If I think about it, like a play or something, like it kind of feels like there's different. There's there's sort of three major parts to the story, and you almost wouldn't be. Um, mistaken if like you know like those three parts were made by completely different people and then yeah. they're all kind of merged together into a bit of a story as opposed to the same director that sits over overall things because again great cast kind of got some some good bones of a, of a story there but is there enough to like I guess if you're a Kingsman fan like I'd, I'd be interested to know actually from any of our listeners if there's anyone who's kind of hardcore into the the Kingsman universe how this works for them and how that kind of fits into the the wider trilogy i guess
1: yeah i think you're right and also i think firstly despite these criticisms i think it is still a fun popcorn movie but i feel it might play best as a rewatch, or or at least watching all three in one go maybe you sort of get deeper into that universe and there's more of an appreciation and on that note then i see um uh Matthew Vaughan has said that he has a plan for a fourth one. If the public demands it, he's ready to go um, to see um, where where it might go from here.
0: Which is interesting, right, because you've only got to look at uh, Rotten Tomatoes and there's a, a 42%. Uh, tomato meter score and an eighty percent audience score. So yeah. there's there's clearly a market out there of of the public that love it, and obviously the the critics of which we form a part of all the professionals, Correct. um, are, are not quite as in sync. And it it must be quite heartbreaking. And I imagine. If you're a di- if you're a director, but just even an actor, you probably stay well away from sites like this because you've probably got no interest in Johnny Nobody telling you what they think of your correct of your masterpiece. So
1: he he also did Kick Ass. He directed X Men: right, First movie. Class, which is one of my favourite X Men sort of prequel movies. Um, he I think if people were to look at his sort of his career, probably listeners that have actually watched more of his stuff than you may even. Not even real. I mean, he was the producer of Rocketman, you know.
0: I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think what this requires is probably a, a trilogy watch. And I think you might get a bit more out of it, I guess, because unlike something like Star Wars or even Breaking Bad, like we're, we're not as invested in this universe. So all of the nuances between these characters and the formations of things and why certain things are happening are. Uh, maybe not quite as clear to us as, as like they're probably painted out quite well, but we just don't know the the law.
1: Indeed. Anyway, if you are interested in this series, or if you want to just give this one a go, you can find it here in New Zealand on Neon.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this a a one and a half guns
1: ball. Yeah, I'm gonna match you on that then. I uh, yeah, I think I wish I'd seen the ratings before I came in because you know how we talk about if you think something's not as good as it is and then you watch it you maybe have that expectation i came mm-hmm. in off the back of the other two thinking can't wait
0: yeah yeah indeed oh well can't win them all um yeah check it out on neon
1: dan have you got any news for us this week any good news
0: um i do have some news do you want to hear about my um highlight first or
1: thank you dan for keeping us on track yes so uh, i would love to know what's your pick of the week is
0: I'm gonna to have to go with my my book. I I can't rave highly enough about it. In fact, I could easily. I I want to be in a book club talking about this book yeah. for hours and hours because there's just like it's. I I just want to dissect all the characters and I want to talk about the meaning. I want to talk about like where else it could go in the in the wider um, universe. It's. I've just had such a great time. How about yourself?
1: for me it's actually a no-brainer for me this week uh, that final season of elementary was head and shoulders above uh everything else for me great final season and just such a satisfying end you know sometimes you sort of end a, a series you know i was i don't know why i was thinking of danton abbey but you think oh, it'd be great if they did a movie and then of course they did this one i don't want a movie i don't want it i i love the ending as it is it's the perfect ending leave it alone it's just um it's just great, and I'm I'm so glad it, it came to Amazon Prime and got the chance to watch it here in New Zealand because it's actually been out a couple of years.
0: Very good, very good. All right, shall I whip us on over to the news desk? So the other day uh, I mentioned that a series of Marvel TV shows, uh, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, The Defenders, The Punisher, were all leaving Netflix, um, which they have done, and we sort of mused about where they might end up. And believe it or not they are going to be reappearing on Disney plus in the middle of the month, which is fascinating to me because that's great because that's where all of our other Marvel content is. Um, and also does it mean that uh, Marvel and Disney are sort of like considering this as sort of more of the characters? Like they're obviously a little bit darker than the standard uh, Marvel movie or, or TV show. So, I think it's great. I, I'm really happy that they've found a, a home so quickly. I, I thought it might be six months, a year before they reappeared somewhere. So I feel very relieved that I could easily jump back into a, a Daredevil rewatch at some point.
1: It's so interesting because we only just talked about it last week. Uh, you know, maybe it was a week before, I can't remember, but you know, where might it go? And it is great. And I've had this news given to me across f- three, four different channels today. Um, but... Great to see that the first place it propped up, uh, cropped up was in the Discord news channel of Have Matters because that's where you should expect to get your breaking news, right?
0: That is where you should. Uh, other bits of news here. So um, Futurama is obviously making a, a bit of a, a comeback for a 20-episode revival, and there's been a bit of fan outrage of late because the uh, the voice actor who plays Bender on the TV show was um, was not going to be coming back due to some failed contract negotiations. And there was a, a huge fan outcry that you can't have Futurama without uh, John DiMaggio voicing Bender. And it looks like the fans and John DiMaggio have won. Contract negotiations have happened, and we will be getting the original voice actor of Bender for another season of Futurama. So that's exciting news. That's
1: great. There, We don't have
0: this... Um, Uh, streaming service in New Zealand, but you may have it uh, where where you live in in the world, probably America. In the NBC's um, Peacock user agreement, they actually got a little Easter egg in that user agreement, and that is the the chili recipe um, for, you know, when Kevin spills the chili all over the floor in the office? (laughs) They've they've got the whole chili recipe baked into the the user agreement. That's incredible.
1: That is the deepest Easter egg of all time.
0: I think it's so good, right? Because one, nobody reads those, Uh, but two, just such a nod to, uh, you know, there's such love for The Office, for Kevin. It's a great meme. The fact that someone would even think to do that, I imagine it had to go through various lawyers. Incredible. So good. A couple of final bits of news for me. So it looks like Chris Hemsworth is going to play the villain um, in Mad Max: Furiosa movie, which I think is is really interesting because obviously Chris Hemsworth is someone who we typically see as a as a hero, um, not so much as a villain. So this will kind of be against the the characters that we kind of know him as. I think it'll be great. I. I can't wait for more Mad Max and really intrigued to see what they do with that one.
1: I think that is a great call. There's something about his look and and his build and that he just looks like he would fit into that universe, even without any sort of um, you know, costume or whatever. He just looks like he would fit into that universe really yeah. well. So I think that's a great show.
0: Totally agree. And then a uh, final bit of news for me. So Indiana Jones 5 has finally wrapped filming nearly 14 years after the Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls
1: premiere. It's incredible. You'll be excited about this, Paul? I'm so excited. I just I just feel we're living in a world where we still get to see Harrison Ford playing Indiana Jones. I felt the same way with him as Han Solo in The, in the Force Awakens. It's just no matter what comes of this movie, good or bad, just the opportunity to sit in a cinema and have the Indiana Jones theme play and see him come on. I mean, from the 70s, 80s, it's it's incredible because everyone said in 2008 he was too old and here we are some, you know, 14 years later.
0: Get him in the the tent, Paul. Correct. him in the back to- Correct. Anything on your end?
1: Uh, no, I mean, the, the big news stories you've... Um, 100% covered off um Jack Reacher season 2 has been confirmed. So I think we already knew that anyway, but that was um fantastic to see come through. Uh I did see of course we had the Screen Actors Guild Awards uh, this week and it was fantastic to see some of the shows that we've enjoyed um winning um Succession taking out um best uh, best show um michael keaton for dope sick uh, that was a, a great win kate uh kate winslet for mary stone just a lot of there's a lot of shows i just noted throughout there that were things that we had watched and enjoyed so um it was great to see them get some wins there um but yeah i don't have anything other than to say don't forget this week star trek picard stats i'm hyped because it's here in new zealand mm-hmm.
0: Great week for the uh, Star Trek fans, Indeed. particularly those uh, deprived New Zealand fans.
1: Thank you. Um, so Dan, uh, I'll take us across over to the to the mailbag. Um, so this week we had uh, Karen from Wellington. She she messaged us uh, to say she liked my review of Landscapers, but she wanted more. She wanted to go a bit deeper because, of course, I didn't dive in and talk spoilers. And she says, please, 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 can you review Landscapers again once Dan has also watched it so we can dive in deeper. There's so much to dive in there. Breaking the fourth wall. There's so much stuff in there. Did it romanticise murders? Can't wait to hear you guys review it again. So Karen has put the request through Dan. Karen, I will add it to the list. Um, Tony from Dagenham in East London. He, uh, you may recall, is still making his way through so he listens every week to the live show that's put out each week but he's also gone back to the start he's now at episode 49 and he took the time to point out that he spotted that when we were doing peak performance for lawrence fishburne i quoted kevin keegan uh newcastle united manager from a quote that he made in the early 1990s and it takes a football fan to be able to spot that quote because of course it was well and truly lost on you i appreciated Tony spotting that Uh, probably our social media highlight this week was our old friend uh, which is an expression I use then when someone retweets us at least twice or or shares something twice our old friend Mr. Robert Patrick the T1000 himself uh, shared our pacemaker post from your glowing review last week Um, and then finally last week's peak performance Owen Wilson Um, we had Freckled Pretzel from the Wild Rapper uh, went with Morbius from Loki Uh, We had Geek Girl Review from Australia. She went with uh, Woody Allen's 2011 movie, Midnight in Paris, one that I have not seen, but I do remember hearing a lot about it. Uh, We had a Mr. Chalmers from Charlotte, USA, Gamers of 321. Third place tie of Loki and the Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, Second place, 1996 movie called Bottle Rocket. Again, one I don't know. And first place was Zoolander. That feels like an attempt To get a four, three, two, one in there, so well played, Mister Chalmers, and then the creator of the original three, two, one, Paddy from Time Traveling Tink Podcast went with Zoolander, Loki, and Night at the Museum three. That is the melbag.
0: Are we sure Paddy got that order right? Like, should it be? Is it should it be the other way around? Who am I to challenge the, challenge that Irish
1: logic? I would not be challenging that at all. He, uh, he even added a note into his three two one this week, saying, "You'll never stop me." I think he's. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think he's picked up on the fact that the three two one is a thing. I love that. Dan, shall we uh, pop over to our peak performance now?
0: Indeed. So a much like movie of the week each week. Paul and I take turns choosing actors, actresses, directors, producers. And everyone in between, and we choose their peak performance. This week, uh, Paul took the very brave call of announcing our peak performance on last week's episode of the Half Measures podcast, and we are reviewing Olivia Coleman.
1: Yeah, so I just seen her in Landscapers, and I just it's just uh, it just struck me at the time. It's just like she's just such a great actress. We need to do a peak performance on her, so why not? Why not make a executive decision on the pod, right? So, um so yes, yeah, so there's so much stuff there it was so hard and i'm really hoping that you have some different things to me so i guess we'll see my honorable mention is for her her role in 2020 and 2021 uh across two seasons as queen Elizabeth ii so i i just don't even know how to explain how good she is in this role i would say she eclipsed Helen Mirren as the queen and of course i've talked about how good i thought that was and this just went to a different place. When she was cast, and despite me already being a, a fan of her work, I, I thought, can she play the Queen? And can she play the Queen? She was just, she just nailed it. And I just think it's the sort of role that if you cast it wrong, like I talked about last week in Spencer, just just not right, uh, it can really detract from the from what you're watching. And so The Crown is already something which I, I, I hold in high esteem as a show. And she was just... She she got the Emmy for outstanding actress. idea. Yeah, that's my that's a runner up, and I'm already thinking it should it be my peak performance. But the peak performance I actually went with is from a series that aired nearly ten years ago. It was uh, 2013, uh, which is Broadchurch, and that was her role as DS Ellie Miller Muller as uh, uh, co-star David Tennant would say. This is one of it is one of the most extraordinary British series that I've, you know, in terms of, um, you know, like those sort of cop dramas or crime, like Line of Duty, Sherlock, it's it's up there for me in terms of that sort of top three placing. And obviously opposite David Tennant, um, this is when she really came on my radar because she was just so, so good opposite him. Her role was, you know, was was the lead and she, she just was just just such an emotional range across three seasons but in particular the first season was when I thought she was fantastic I loved the chemistry she had with David Tennant and yeah she she got the BAFTA for this Best leading Actress and she 100% deserved it so I I made a note here saying I would love it if she would be the third person from Broadchurch that takes the role of Doctor Who um, after D- David Tennant and Jodie Whitaker, who were both in Broadchurch I think Olivia common could be one of the greatest Doctor Who's of all time. So, uh, so yeah, we'll see. Um, Dan.
0: Great shouts, Paul. So for my honourable mention, I'm actually going to go with the 2016 uh, TV series Fleabag. And the reason I'm going to call out uh, Olivia's role in this is it's, she doesn't play a, a main character in this TV show by any stretch of the imagination, but she plays this uh, amazing godmother role in the in the TV show, and there's just something about her, her range and her like there's something it just works every time, and I feel like this is gonna sound probably um, f- <laughs> offensive. Is like I feel like. Every time I'm just surprised and delighted by her, and I don't expect to be. And I think Fleabix is another great example of how she just kind of wins you over, whether she's playing an annoying character or whether she's playing a a highly lovable character or a super smart detective or whatever it may be. She's just got something about her that that draws you in, and it always catches me off guard. Brilliant. I'm actually going to join you for the peak performance of Broadchurch. Uh, This is – for me one of my top five uh british um cop shows and it, i think what you what you said the 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 broad range of emotion from uh being a lead detective um in a small town a family controversy knowing it like she just brings it all together in this incredible package and it's one of those shows, I remember when it first came out and just kind of taken a wide berth around it, not for me, but when I eventually sat down to watch it, I was hooked. I, I, I couldn't look away. And I think it's, it's in part to her role and, and David Tennant's, but fantastic TV show and fantastic um, recommendation for peak
1: performance, Ball. Great show, Stan. I was so pleased you picked Fleabag as well because I love that godmother role. Just every time she just brings that, she just... I just have a memory of her flashing that massive smile at the most inopportune moments added something to one of, I mean, Fleabag is just terrific. So great shouts, Dan, great shots.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, Paul, that probably brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures podcast.
1: It does indeed. Thanks very much for listening in this week. And please give us a shout, get in touch, give us a rating, do all the things, find us on social media, follow us, promote us, but please keep listening. Thank you.
0: If you listen to us on podcast, give us one of the the five-star reviews that you can now do um, for podcasts on there. But in the meantime, a special shout-out to our Patreon producers, Samara King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa, and Linda Tavner. We couldn't do it without you. If you would like to become a patron of the show and help keep the lights on here, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next time, everyone, adios.